Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, March 4th, and we're talking financials. I'm your host, Jason Moser, and joining me in the studio via Skype on location this week in, I'm assuming, beautiful Las Vegas, certified financial planner Matt Frankel. Matt, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at the background there. You've got this busy show. It's the Money 2020 show, right? Is that right? No, this is Shop Talk. Oh, this is Shop Talk. Okay, so I had it all wrong. It's to the begin same with. people who put on Money 2020. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, does this mean you get to go to Vegas like twice a year for these things? Yeah, my wife loves it. Let me tell you. All right. I'm thinking maybe like, do you need <laughs> an assistant, or is there a job opening where you're working? Because I mean, two trips to Vegas a year. I mean, that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. But, you know, I just got back from Austin, Texas, so I can't complain. And I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining at all. Uh, okay, today's show. Yeah, I guess te- technically Dan Klein is my assistant. I'm actually using his, his laptop because <laughs> mine died. Well, so hey. I already have an assistant on my Vegas trip. He's sitting over my left shoulder. As long as we've got something that's working, <laughs> that's all that matters. Uh, we're going to cover uh, some more today about your week ahead here, Matt, what you're looking forward to uh, in regard to your trip there in in Vegas. Uh, We're going to take a quick look at some of the earnings that have come through here recently in the financial sector, including Green Dot and Square, and my one to watch from last week, uh, Mercado Libre. As always, we'll check out Twitter. We'll we'll have one to watch for this coming week. Uh, But Matt, we're going to start this week with Visa. And, And Matt, if Kroger had a theme song for the company right now, I can't help but think it would probably be something like Twisted Sisters, We're Not Gonna Take It. Because as it stands, Kroger seems like they're standing up to Visa and saying, look, at some point or another, somebody's going to have to start pushing back. And they apparently feel like they need to. This is definitely a play to try to get their credit card fees down, which is by far the most common reasons retailers accept one credit card over another. Um, Generally, though, Visa's not the one that they choose not to accept. Right. Um, American Express and Discover are by far the most common. Well, Visa being the biggest card, biggest card out there, right? I mean, right. Visa's the biggest payment card, and generally they charge lower fees than some of the other ones. Um, but having said that, payment processing fees are often done on a case by case basis, as in com- larger companies can generally negotiate a better deal than, say, a smaller merchant can. So in this case, Kroger feels that Visa's fees that they're charging them are a little bit too high and are not accepting Visa anymore at some of their kind of owned brands. It's not all of Kroger, um, but some of their own brands. And um, it's it's a play to get the fees down. Generally speaking, American Express is the one. That's why you hear the dreaded, we don't accept American Express pretty often still. Yeah. Um, American Express in general, their fees are about 1% higher than the others, which when you're Especially when you're talking about a, like a, you know, a business with pretty low profit margins, like grocery stores, a one percent difference can be a you know a big deal. Tremendous difference. So um, the biggest surprise to me in this case is that it was Visa. Um, so that's it's a common thing for a retailer to not accept one form of credit card, but because it's Visa is why this is kind of big news. Yeah, and it seems like I think we're in the face of both MasterCard and Visa getting ready to pass through. I think a little bit of a price increase there as interchange fees um, are going to be going up for a lot of their merchant customers. And so, 
Uh, you know, we it, it's we talk a lot about it. I mean, it you know, they have these admirable competitive positions in owning the rails, essentially Mastercard and Visa. But I mean that that doesn't mean they have pricing power, uh, you know, to the moon. I mean, at some point or another, it's it's you know going to be pulled back either by merchants complaining about it and doing what Kroger is is trying to do here, or I mean, as we've seen before with regulations, uh, you'll, you'll have uh, folks in D.C. who want to get in there and, and try to regulate the industry a little bit, which is understandable as well. Um, I mean, that is something that. Uh, they can only raise those prices so far. So it becomes um, imperative that they maximize the number of those transactions. And in speaking uh, in line with maximizing that number of transactions, I mean, we see more and more places going uh, to cash less transactions, going to only cards. Uh, I was reading today, uh, Hodges hit me on Twitter earlier today with a note that in Atlanta, the stadium there in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium there in Atlanta, is going to be moving to uh, cashless-only transactions for their NBA or for their NFL and their uh, Major League Baseball events. Uh, that's going to be starting here soon. Essentially, uh, card mobile payment only. Um, they 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 justified and for you know for a number of different reasons. I mean, it's going to give them op- obviously the opportunity to speed up transactions because there's no cash. Uh, they're talking about how cash really dictated the whole dollar policy and their pricing scheme to begin with. Um, I, I think there are a number of different reasons why it could probably work out. I know if I go to, go to a game somewhere, um, I hate having to have cash. It just it it sucks. I mean, I just you, you never you got to have a lot of it too if you want to buy something there because prices are so expensive. Uh, so at least I think. Over the coming five, ten years, these companies like Visa and MasterCard will at least benefit from increased transactions. Wouldn't you agree? They will. And um, it's also worth mentioning that I'm, I'm not Amex bashing. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Amex, <laughs> and gotcha. Dis- Amex and Discover have, have actually made a big effort to lower their their fees and reduce the, the non-acceptance. Um, they both realized that one of their biggest obstacles to growing their user base it's the fact that they don't have universal acceptance like Visa and MasterCard do. So the point being that over the next few years, you could see increased pressure on Visa from those other two as well. You, like you said, you just saw Kroger get rid of uh, Visa in certain places because Amex and Discover made more sense yeah. um, in certain ways. So that's another source of competitive pressure. And it's also worth noting that merchants, especially big ones like Kroger, really do have a lot of negotiating power. Um, the biggest one, uh, Costco, is the biz- biggest example of one that only accepts one type of credit card. Um, if you've been to a Costco, you know they only take Visa. And while they're pretty tight-lipped about how much Costco's paying, they say Visa's interchange fees for Costco are something like 0.4%, yeah. whereas the standard merchant pays between 2 and 3%. So I see a lot more negotiating. I th- right now, Costco's the only big notorious retailer that does that. But I definitely see this kind of negotiating coming into play with other retailers in the future. Yeah, yeah, certainly something for investors to keep an eye on. I mean, as as that pricing power, you know, hits hits sort of a limit, so to speak. I mean, you know, we'll at least see the benefit from you know the number of transactions continuing to go up, at least in the short run. I'd say uh, further down the line, you know, something at least to to ponder. I mean, how. How strong is the competitive advantage for companies like Visa and MasterCard and even American Express as, as a lot of these newfangled payments providers try to get in there and really disrupt the model? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's, 
it's going to be an interesting time in the fintech space for uh, the next decade or so. Yep. Yep. Well, speaking of fintech, we had a lot of uh, a lot of earnings that have come out recently, and so we wanted to touch on those here uh, this week. A company that you follow, you've called it out as uh, as your one to watch before. Green Dot uh, earnings came out. And it looked like the stock felt a little bit of pressure from that earnings report. Uh, what were a couple of your top takeaways from Green Dot's most recent quarter? Well, the numbers looked good. They beat earnings. They beat revenue. But the guidance was a little bit light. Um, if, you've, if you've been following it, the stock is down from after earnings. And it's not that the guidance is disappointing. They're still projecting 10% year-over-year earnings growth, 6% revenue growth. But my takeaway is that from a short-term perspective, a lot of people don't want to pay 20 times earnings for a company that's growing at 10% in the immediate term. Makes sense. Over time, I think Square's business is going it's, – it's ahead of its time in some ways, especially its banking as a service platform. So while it's only projecting to grow about 10% this year, I think the long, that doesn't really give credit to the long-term potential of its business. So as a long-term investor, I like Square or not Square. I'm sorry, I like <laughs> we'll Green Dot, especially in a after. Don't it, worry. I know th- things are on the brain. Um, I like Green Dot after earnings with this new lower price. If you have a long time horizon, you might not be happy with my recommendation in six months or a year, but I'm very confident that in a decade, that Green Dot will be a much larger company than it is today. Especially if it keeps picking up partners like Apple, Uber, and some of the others that it's added recently. Well, I think that's what investors want to hear. I mean, we we certainly uh, you know, never never profess to take that quarterly view. I mean, we like to look at quarterly earnings and see how the companies are doing, but we're looking at these businesses from the perspective of three, five, ten years, and so it sounds like Green Dot still has uh, plenty of opportunity there. Talking about plenty of opportunity, uh, I'll jump into Mercado Libre here real quick. Mercado Libre was my one to watch last week. And while I think it really gained uh, recognition early on as the the e-commerce king of Latin America, I mean, this has clearly become uh, a case of an e-commerce business that has become quite an attractive payments business as well. And I was talking about this on Motley Fool Money this past week. Uh, when you look at the numbers that are going through Mercado Libre's network, it's it's really quite impressive. I mean, Forget about the e-commerce business for a minute. I mean, they brought $5.3 billion of total payment volume through their networks over the fourth quarter. And, I mean, when we talk about how successful that is, what's even more impressive is really the offline payments that are going through their platform. Uh, if, If you look at the actual offline payments, I mean, they continue to just bring dollars that aren't necessarily originated from their e-commerce platform. The total off-platform payment volume grew, on a currency-neutral basis, grew 172% for the quarter, which uh, is is impressive, obviously. And for the first time ever, off-platform payments processed more than $2 billion in transactions, reaching almost 70 million payment transactions in a single quarter. And so, I think that really just seals... Uh, the argument that that a lot of a lot of us here at HQ have been making for a while, and that Mercado Libre really is um, as much of a payments company as it is an e-commerce company, and, and I think that's where e-commerce companies are really succeeding is is being able to become more than just the place where people are buying it, but they're using uh, services like 
payment platforms and whatnot to keep their customers happy. It's very sticky, and it's something that I think will continue to benefit the company for some time to come. So not surprising that the stock continues to do very well. Uh, Matt, let's pivot over to Square real quick, because this is one that you and I both follow. Earnings came out. Kind of a funny reaction from this one. The market initially was selling the stock off. By the end of the day, it seemed to be back in the good graces of the market. Uh, what were a couple things that stood out to you for Square's most recent quarter? Well, first of all, I wish I had bought it the morning after earnings. <laughs> well, timing is everything. <laughs> it right? was a really like just a knee-jerk reaction. The guidance for the coming quarter is a little bit weak um, in terms of earnings. If you care about the profitability of a company that's growing at you know sixty-five percent year over year, um, but investors quickly wised up to the fact that Square. It's not about current profitability. It's not about you know are they losing money right now because. When a company's growing like that and has cash in the bank, you know who yeah. cares? Uh, is kind of my opinion on that. Um, but just kind of some of the highlights I like out of Square's earnings. Obviously, the revenue growth is impressive. Even not including acquisitions, they're growing at a rate of over 50%, which is huge. Um, their services business continues to grow to more than double year over year. Um, the biggest highlight to me is the Cash App users. They only report Cash App users... Uh, once a year. Last year, they reported that there were about 7 million active users um, Last in December 2017. Um, for December 2018, that number more than doubled to 15 million. Now, it's worth pointing out that this is not an area of the business where they're making money yet. Square makes the bulk of its money still from payment processing, small business lending, and things like that. Where this really comes into play is this could be a huge long-term driver of growth in other areas. Specifically, Squares has said many times that it wants to get into the consumer side of the financial industry, offering things like high-yield savings accounts, personal lending, uh, an investment platform, things of that nature. So this is an active user base of 15 million people that they could potentially cross-sell those products to who are already part of the Square ecosystem. Just to put that number in perspective, Square's core customer is the small business, and that customer base is about $2 million large. So this is a customer base that's more than seven times their small business customer base that is currently not being monetized. And that just kind of and, – and, and it, this doesn't factor in any future growth. I'm pretty confident in saying that next year when we hear the cash app numbers, it's going to be a whole lot more than $15 million. So this is a really an untapped and rapidly growing source of future revenue potential for the company that I really don't think the market's fully taking into account yet. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, there's a lot, a lot to like about the quarter, and I mean, I continue to just be impressed by the the opportunity that's in front of them in regard to how many dollars are going through that network on a yearly basis. I mean, we were looking at PayPal for. 2018, and they had, they're closing in on $600 billion flowing through their networks. And I mean, Square is essentially a tenth of that um, and, and growing at, at double digit rates, very similar to PayPal. And uh, so you can see plenty of opportunity there for Square to capture. And speaking of, you know, the, the Cash App being maybe it's not something that's profitable right now, but we saw much the same thing in Venmo early on for PayPal, and they had the wherewithal to acquire that. And that's now becoming a, a channel that they're starting to rely a little bit more on and work with a little bit. And, you know, I'll just speak from personal perspective here. I mean, uh, my, my daughters are to the point now we just got them their first phones, and we're looking to create sort of a, you know, an opportunity for them to have their first quote unquote banking relationship. 
So we all downloaded the Cash App, and we all set up Cash Apps on our phone, and it works seamlessly. I can transfer money to their accounts. They can give me cash if they don't want to hold it. I can give them the you know money through their Cash App, and uh, we're all very happy users of, of that Cash App, too. So we, we tacked on a few more users there. Uh, they'll be able to count us in next year <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, I mean a lot, a lot to like, and I and I like their efforts to to figure out new ways to extend capital to their merchant customers. Uh, the Square lending side of the business, I think, is going to be huge. Square Capital, uh, business services, all of those types of things, just tremendous opportunities. And and I think we all know by this point that Jack Dorsey certainly is a very long term, big picture kind of thinker, uh, not concerned with those quarterly numbers whatsoever. And um, so. Yeah, I remain a happy shareholder. It sounds like you do too, and I think that all the folks out there in, the, in our foolish universe who uh, have have uh, picked up shares of Square along the way should feel encouraged as well, right? I, I've bought Square for eleven dollars a share and haven't sold a single one yet. If that tells you how confident I am in the company long term, even though I could lock in, you know, a six hundred percent profit right now if I really wanted to, I'm yep. convinced that this is still just the beginning. Well, the only way you get that 10-bagger is by hanging on. So, you know, that's, that's right. what we're going to do. Um, okay, hey, <laughs> terrific. So let's jump into the Twitter universe here for just a second because I saw a nice back and forth that I just thought was worth calling out. At Vivek Chirps uh, said the other day, the fuzzy identity of Mercado Libre. Is it the Amazon of Latin America? or PayPal, or somewhere in between. And then he said, Danny Vina, what's your view? And Danny Vina, if you folks out there uh, know, Danny is is uh, one of our fellow fools here. You can find all of his great writing there on, t, uh, on fool.com. And, and Danny, at Danny Vina, said in reply to Vivek Chirps, he said all of the above. It started out like eBay as a platform for transactions between sellers and buyers added a PayPal-like payment system, now has e-commerce, shipping, logistics, and warehouses like Amazon, merchant services, and capital loans like Shopify and Square. I mean, listen, it sounds like what Danny's saying is what we've been saying. When you buy Mercado Libre, you're really getting, you know, you're getting the whole kit and caboodle, as they like to say. Uh, And so, if you're looking for someone who knows Mercado Libre and follows it closely, I recommend that you give Danny a follow there. Again, at Danny Vina. He is... uh, Probably knows probably knows Mercado Libre better than better than maybe anyone in our entire foolish universe here. So, uh, Danny and Vivek Chirps, thanks so much. Uh, okay, hey Matt, listen, let's jump into to closing out the week here with one to watch. Uh, given where you are in Vegas, right there, anything coming to the top of your mind? What's your one to watch this week? Well, my one to watch is not a, a Vegas stock. Um, I'm looking at Berkshire uh, this week. Um, all that risk out there in Vegas, you're trying to trying to mitigate yeah, that looking, risk a little bit. Yeah, I'm looking at Berkshire as my one to watch for this week. Um, Berkshire has over $112 billion of cash, and the rumors are really starting to ramp up that Warren Buffett is antsy for an acquisition. Um, Southwest Airlines is the latest big rumor. Um, that's why Southwest Airlines spiked last week. Um, not that he's necessarily going to acquire that one, but he's definitely got the itch. He wants to acquire a big company. I think it's going to finally happen sooner rather than later. And I have my eye on Berkshire. I'm considering adding to my already large position in it. I know you're a Markel fan, but I think Berkshire is going to have a very interesting first half of 2019. Yeah, I mean, I get my dose of Berkshire through my ownership of Markel. So maybe it's that sort of second level investing, so to speak. Uh, real quick, you have your eye on any companies you think Berkshire might be 
looking at? Any thoughts there? I mean, we're, we're talking big deals here, so anything strike you? Mm, well, there's companies I think Berkshire should acquire, not that, not that they necessarily will. Um, I'd, I would actually love to see them acquire Southwest Airlines. Um, that would be a very cool, needle, big needle-moving acquisition. Um, I'd love to see them kind of expand their holdings in the energy space, which is an area Buffett wanted to make a big acquisition last year, but it fell through. Um, there's a bunch of interesting possibilities. Value has been the big roadblock lately. Um, it just depends what Warren Buffett sees the most value in at any given time. Man, it just crossed my mind here. What if Buffett wants to acquire Square? I mean, I know I was saying Apple acquiring Square was my reckless pr- prediction for 2019, but but he, you know, clearly they've been looking at some payments companies, and, and he's he's had a good track record with American Express. What if? I would love to see Square you know, join the Buffett well, universe, even even as just a stock sure. investment. I'd love to see it join his portfolio. Well, you know, he'd give Jack plenty. He'd give Jack all the room in the world to keep running the business the way he wants to. So, like crazier things could happen. That would be a sizey one. Um, I'm going a little bit the other way here. Uh, Going to take a look, a closer look at Amalgamated Bank. Uh, the ticker there is A M A L. And uh, this past week in Austin, I was speaking with one of our listeners and members, Neil Grayson. And Neil's a fellow Wofford alumnus, Matt. Have I mentioned to you that I went to Wofford College? You have, many times. Have I told you about how good Wofford's basketball team is this year? I know, didn't you guys beat us earlier in the season? Hey, listen, man. I mean, you know, Wofford is top 25 in the country at this point. Now, after running the tables in the Southern Conference, 18-0 for the year, they appear to be a shoe-in for the big dance, regardless of what happens in the Southern Conference starting. Now, of course, we want to see that victory come through as well, but yeah, tremendous year. But I, I digress. Uh, my amalgamated bank idea here is thanks to Neil. So, Neil, thanks. Uh, small cap bank in New York, fairly new with an IPO that happened just less than a year ago, but total deposits of $4.1 billion, uh, an advantage there in a low-cost deposit base, and total assets of $4.7 billion. So, smaller than that, uh, you know, small-cap Georgia Bank I've been talking about so much here, Ameris Bank Corp., but it seems uh, very similar in a lot of ways, and Neil thought I'd be interested, so I'm going to dig in a little bit further there and uh, see if we can't come up with uh, some reasons maybe to get this name out there in front of members and listeners and the world. Matt, it sounds like you've got your plate full there in Vegas. You take care out there. You be careful. Looking forward to next week when you can tell us about all the great stuff you saw and heard. Definitely. I'm actually heading over to the Squares Squares booth after this um, to see if I can get get a word with, the, with some of their team. All right. Well, we'll leave it there then. Thanks again. And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.